Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. Good to see you. Isn't it great to have the praise and the worship and and to lift up the Lord like we have today? Um, Turn to your neighbor and say, you look really good today. You survived spring break. Some of them are home. Some of them are not home yet. But uh, the rest of the crew, the prodigals will be back for long, too long. And uh, we're, we're, we're concluding our series on Jonah. And I, I want to really conclude on a strong note as we do every Sunday. But th- this is a tremendous story. This is a tremendous, uh, this is a tremendous well of a tale, right? I mean, it's, it's almost unbelievable, but I believe it because Jesus uh, talked about it. And I think it has a message for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace, your love, your compassion for us. And Lord, let our eyes be open, our heart receptive, our ears uh, susceptible to your spirit speaking to us today. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, Jonah's called to go to Nineveh and cry against the great city, try to get it to repent from its evil ways, and, and he goes the opposite direction. He is supposed to go to Nineveh about 500 miles to the, uh, to the east, and he goes 2,200 miles to the west. And somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, as he is fleeing from the face of God, he's tossed overboard because there is a tremendous storm that the people on the ship realize that it is because of Jonah that this storm occurs. And they heave ho him over the side of the ship and a huge fish swallows him. And he's in the belly of the whale or the belly of the fish for three long days before he prays. How many of you would have prayed before three days? I'm just saying, I would have prayed before the three days. And then the whale projectile vomits him out and then Jonah goes to Nineveh and he cries against the city. Now Nineveh is about the size of Norman, Oklahoma and it takes him about three days to go through the city and around the city to give his message. So he begins at uh, Riverwind Casino (laughs) and begins to go through the parking lot and shout, yet 40 days God is going to destroy the city. Then he crosses the Canadian River and he goes up to Lindsay Street and begins to cry out against the city. He goes over to Jenkins, goes to the University of Oklahoma around Memorial Stadium Stadium, and goes by the uh, statues of all the Heisman Trophy winners. I'm making this story really good. And he cries through the university, he goes up to uh, 24th Street and then around the east side of Norman and he goes up to Robinson and goes to uh, Target and Starbucks, goes up to the Embassy Hotel and around by uh, Indian Hills Road and goes over by the Sooner Fashion Mall and goes through Dillard's and how many of you get in the story here? Now listen, to go through all those places and you're walking and you're stopping at different places proclaiming the word of the Lord, it takes three days for him to complete this cycle. 
And uh, you, you would think that uh, if you get to verse number 10 of Jonah 3, and let me read it to you, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God spared the city. So the city repents, turns to God, and Jonah's exceedingly happy. He writes a book entitled, How to Get 120,000 Sinners to Come to the Altar at One Easy one easy sermon. He uh, writes a book and he, uh, he goes on a book tour, How to Have a Mega Church in 40 Days. He goes on TBN and Daystar and CBN and he shares his testimony and he goes on a speaking tour and he receives the Nobel Peace Prize for saving 120,000 people at one time. Not, this is not the way the story ends. This is far from it. Look with me, if you would, chapter 4, verse 1. But it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled, or this is the reason I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you're a generous and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. How many of you know he's having a bad day? And Jonah wants to die. And I found this about myself, and I think it's true about you. Look at your neighbor and say, I think he's going to talk about you this morning. <laughs> there's a little bit of Nineveh in all of us. And there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. Now, why would I say there's a little bit of Nineveh in all of us? It's because in chapter 1, God calls that city a wicked city. Their evils come up before me. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you done anything that you've ever been ashamed of? Have you ever sinned? Have you ever done something that uh, you really weren't very proud of? You weren't nice? And um, I'm thinking about a lot of things that I've done that hasn't been very nice. Uh, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you? And secondly, because the Ninevites uh, have the ability to believe and repent. And God gave them time to get things right. He, he gave them time. And God gives us time, right? And thirdly, because they desperately need what Jonah said about the nature of God. Look with me at verse 2, please. The Bible says that God is gracious, he's merciful, slow to anger, abundant loving kindness. God does not want anyone to perish. That's the God that we serve. Now everything that he said here, all these things, I need. I need his grace, I need his mercy, I, I need his patience, his long suffering, I need his love. Do you? I think just like Nineveh needed all those things, I need those things. There's times in my life that obviously I've done some horrible things. I wouldn't want to share some of the things I've done. Would you want to get up here and share everything that you've done that's been wrong? Yeah, me either. And I'm not. But there is a little bit of Nineveh in all of us. And there's a little bit of Jonah in us. Has God ever called you to do something you didn't do it? Did, did he say, do this, share with this person, go, uh, you know, engage this? And, and if you've ever ran from God or ran from the will of God in your life, you have a little bit of Jonah in you. Have you ever been angry with God? Something happened with you. Something didn't turn out like you thought it should. You didn't get the job. The husband wasn't faithful to the relationship. The wife decided to leave. You've been dealing with a health issue and you don't know why you have it. You've experienced maybe a horrible divorce or you're having a health issue that you don't know why you have it and it seems like it won't go away or 
someone in your family died and you don't understand why you have a kid that's AWOL or kids that's uh, kids that are in trouble and and sometimes life just doesn't seem fair and that's what Jones experiencing right now why is this happening to me why am I having to go through this and that happens to us doesn't it last Tuesday uh, we we had a a headstone set at the cemetery for our 24 year old son he died in 2003 and 16 years later, we're finally setting the headstone. Not because we didn't have the money, because uh, we did. We had people coming to us and said, Pastor Mike, if you don't have the money to set Nathan's headstone, we'll help you with it. And I said, that's really not the issue. You know, sometimes the issue is much deeper than that, and everybody reacts differently to death and, and loss and pain and suffering. And so it just seems so final. So after 16 years... We finally set his headstone, and Carrie and I drove out Tuesday evening, and I said, do you want to go see the headstone they set? She said, maybe. So we went there. There were very few words said. We looked at it, took some pictures, sent to our other boys, and we got in the car and we drove away. And sometimes life just seems like it is just the pits. And life is not fair, and it seems like we struggle in our faith. We run from God. We get angry. But none of those things really solve our problems, and none of those things ever bring us more peace. And sometimes we get angry, and we don't know what's going on, and we get angry with people we love, and we get angry with people we don't love. Have you ever wanted to bless somebody with a brick? I've told this story before, but I want to share it for those of you who hadn't heard it. A few years ago, Carrie and I were in Oklahoma City, and, and I'll be there uh, this afternoon. And, and we were driving. We were by Integris Hospital, Northwest Expressway, and I'm trying to make a left-hand turn. And there's a lady in front of me, and I'm sorry, ladies, it was a lady. I'm not making up the story. <laughs> there was a lady driver there, and we're, we're behind her. We're trying to make a left-hand turn, and she hasn't pulled up far enough in the left-hand turn for the camera, the sensor, to, to sense there's anybody in the left-hand turn lane. So we cycle through. I mean, the lights change and they change and they change and no green arrow going to the left. Now, you know my personality. I just said, Lord bless her. No. I got angry. And I began to inch up closer and closer to her bumper, hoping that she would inch forward so that the sensor on the red light would pick up. There's somebody in the left-hand turn lane that wants to turn. Me. But she never did. And I got closer and closer, and Carrie said, you're going to bump her. And I thought, what a novel idea. I could push her forward a little bit. And Carrie said, stop. And listen, the, the, the light keeps cycling, and there is no green turn light to turn left. And, and this is getting ridiculous. And I told Carrie, I said, I'm going to get out of the car and go rap on her window and said, Ma'am, would you please pull up a little further so we could turn left? And Carrie said, Don't you get out of the car. And finally, she kept moving forward, and it sensed us, and we got to turn left. And I know you never do things like that, but I do. And Jonah's angry, and he's upset. And if you look here at verse 1, he's very displeased. He became angry with God. And the words used here in the original language says that Jonah's fuming. He is very angry, fervent anger. It says he's physically moved with anger. Have you ever seen someone that turns red and they're shaking? And, you know, it's like they want to punch a hole in the sheetrock. Y'all are so holy. 
mean, he's that kind of anger, and you could see him physically moved here and disturbed, burning up on the inside. And, you know, years ago, some of our family used to call this a hissy fit. Has anyone ever heard that? Someone threw a hissy fit? I don't know what it means, but I think I get the picture, don't you? Jonah's thought a hissy fit here, and we're seeing his reaction to his disappointment, and we get a glimpse of the conversation that happened before the fish. So look with me there again in verse 2. He says, isn't this what I said before I ran away to Tarshish? I told you, God, because you are gracious and merciful and long-suffering and patient and full of loving kindness, you're probably going to forgive these people. I told you that. That's why I ran. I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to burn them up with crispy critterness. I want you to destroy these people because they have raped and pillaged and murdered our people. They don't deserve a second chance. They don't deserve your grace, mercy, your forbearance, and your loving kindness. That's what he's mad about. If I go to proclaim this message, you may actually turn their life around because you are gracious and merciful and long-suffering and patient and you're full of love. That's why I ran away, God. I, I didn't want you to save them. Now, Jonah just feels like he wants to die. And, and, and listen, good people sometimes have that thought. And sometimes people who are saved have that thought. Does that shock you? One time Elijah sat under a juniper tree and said, God, I just want to die. And Jonah's saying, God, I just want to die. Sometimes life just deals things out and, and we're emotionally charged and those thoughts move through our mind. And he's been through a horrific experience in the belly of a fish. That's not good. He's preached to people he really doesn't care for. He's asking them to repent. And the message is iffy at best. And the reason I say iffy because we know that God's going to spare the city, but he says 40 days God's going to destroy the city. And guess what? God doesn't destroy the city. So he thinks, gosh, I look like a fool because what I'm preaching doesn't come to pass, but it's contingent on if they repent and turn to God, right? And guess what they did? They sat in sackcloth and ashes and they, they turned their lives around. And so look with me. Uh, in verse 4, then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah's thinking, thinking, I'd rather God you just kill them all. And the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? Boy, this is a really bad attitude, isn't it? And here's the good news, though, in the message. God can use imperfect people just like you and I to do something wonderful for God. Listen, Jonah's very imperfect. I mean, we, we see all the, the warts and the bumps, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Jonah here. The reason I know this is probably the word of God, because if I was Jonah, I would never have written chapter 4. Because you look really foolish in chapter 4. But he writes chapter 4 because the word of God, the Holy Spirit moves upon us to say, God uses imperfect people. And he uses imperfect people like you and me, and that's the only kind of people he has to use. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We all have our flaws, our good, the bad, and the ugly. And Jonah is just busting out all over with it, right? And, and so we see here that he has a, a horribly bad attitude. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. You know what he's doing? He's getting a ringside seat. He makes a lean-to, or we might say a brush arbor. Anybody ever been in a brush arbor? 
Anybody had service in a brush harbor? Yeah, I have. So he, he's erected some kind of structure, put some brush on it, and, and he's trying to get out of the hot sun. And, and there he is with his lawn chair, looking to the west. He's on the east side of Nineveh, and he's waiting to see what's going to happen in the next 40 days. Is God really going to spare them, or is God going to get them what they deserve? So picture in your mind, east side of the city, maybe he's on a little hill. He, he's watching the city every day for 40 days, and he's going to see what is going to happen. Now, it's hot. If you've ever been to the Middle East, it's pretty warm. And he's there, and the sun is beating down upon him. And he's waiting this out, 40 days to see what happens. Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. You know, Jonah just keeps happen, having a bad day after a bad day. Now, now notice in this Jonah account, and I think this is very important, I want you to catch it. God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. God prepared the plant to cover his shelter. God prepared the worm to eat the plant. Verse 8, God prepared the east wind to blow very hot on Jonah. Boy, God's preparing a lot of things here, isn't he? How do you know God is orchestrating the events? And I really love this because think in your mind about this worm. So let's think about the worm for a minute. So this plant, supernaturally, in a very short time, crawls up the, the lean-to or the brush arbor, begins to cover with foliage over the top of it, and Jonah's saying, wow, thank you for this plant. This plant is giving me shade. This, this, this plant is giving me, you know, some, some comfort here. I'm sitting here in my chair watching Nineveh, seeing what God's fixing to do. The plant is bringing me comfort, and this worm comes along... How many of you know this worm has been sent by God? Big things, little things. Big fish, little worms. God's in the big details. He's in the little details. And I don't know how long it took the worm to get there. Because worms travel fairly slow. But I know even the snails made it on the ark. So the worm, passing maybe other worms, was asked, where are you going? I'm on a mission for God. Jonah went one direction away from God. The worm is going toward the direction that God wants him to go. God prepared the fish, prepares the plant, prepares the worm, prepares the wind. The fish is obedient, plant's obedient, worm's obedient, wind's obedient. The only thing that's not obedient in this story is Jonah. He's bummed out. He has a will. He can choose to follow God, not follow God. You're here today, you have a will. You can follow God or not follow God. You can choose to go where God wants you to go. You can choose to worship. You can choose to be faithful. You can choose to give. You can choose to worship. And, and, and you know, you can choose not to. So the worm eats the plant, cuts the stem. The plant dries up. 
Jonah's bummed out again, verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So, two things. He says, Jonah, you're angry about this. Plant dries up. You're angry about the plant. Do you live with anybody who's always angry? Don't, don't shout anything out at me right now. I mean, there are people who live life always angry. I mean, they look like they've been baptized in persimmon juice. I mean, they live their life just this anger, 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 just throwing it out. And, and God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, Jonah said, is it right for me to be angry? Pause. Is it right for me to be angry? Pause. Even unto death. Sure, I'm angry. How many you know God doesn't ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to? So when God asks all these questions, how many of you know he already knows the answer to all these questions? But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night, perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons or people who could not discern between their right hand or their left and much livestock? He said, Jonah, you, you've got your priorities so messed up here. You're mourning over a plant and you're wanting a whole city full of people to be destroyed. You have got so misplaced priority, priorities. I don't even understand where you're at here, Jonah. You're angry about the plant, but you're happy to see 120,000 souls perish and be lost. I wonder sometimes if we ever have misplaced priorities in our own life. I think sometimes we do. You know, we, we, we think uh, this is a big deal, not a big deal. This is a big deal. Really, God says this is not a big deal. Sometimes we get our priorities all mixed up. Jonah's got his priorities all mixed up. He, he, he's mourning over the plant, not mourning over the city. And God says, listen, there, there's 120,000 people here who cannot discern between their right hand or their left. And he says, you need to get some perspective here, Jonah. You, you need to get some perspective. Jonah, don't wait for the destruction of Nineveh. Weep over the city for revival. And you and I need to look at this story. It's there. We need to look about what is happening, the players, the scenario. What does it mean to us? What does it mean to me personally? What does it mean to us corporately? And figure out what God is saying to us. This is a story about God and the goodness of God and the graciousness of God and the mercy of God and the long-suffering of God and the patience of God and the loving-kindness of God. This is what this story is about. And let me illustrate why I'm saying that. If you look at it, and I think it's pretty clear here, the fish, the fish is only mentioned three times in this story. The city's mentioned nine times. Jonah's mentioned about 18 times in the story. But God is mentioned over 36 times in this story. This story is about... As Jonah said, the grace, the mercy, the patience, the forbearance, the loving kindness, and the love of God. That's what this story's about. To a people who don't deserve any of that. Now the reason I say that is because I'm a little bit like Nineveh. There's nothing about this I deserve. And let me just add you to the list. There's nothing about this that you deserve. But God is so rich in grace and mercy and long-suffering and patience and loving-kindness, even though we don't deserve it, he gives it to us anyway because he's God. You can't earn it. You can't be smart enough. You can't be rich enough, educated enough, holy enough, righteous enough, moral enough. We all fall short in every category, but God is so rich in that, he gives it to us anyway, just like he does Nineveh here. These are violent people, horrible people. 
They kill their enemies, stack their skulls up, fillet them alive, hang them on poles on their borders. They're horrible people. They rape and pillage and murder and kill. And Jonah's seen that. They've raided the northern parts of Israel. That's why he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want God to give them mercy. He doesn't want God to give them grace. He says, Lord, I'd rather you wipe them out. We'll be free of them. But here's another alternative. God said, but if I save them and I turn their life around, then your problem's solved, right? Well, that's true. But sometimes we want people just to get what we think's coming to them. Okay, let me move on. <laughs> Jonah's the anti-hero here. God's the real hero. God's the hero of this story. It's not the Ninevites. It's not Jonah. God's the hero. And that's why God will always have glory. That's why he'll be lifted up and he'll draw all men to himself. Now, let me ask you a question and we're going to wrap this up here. Can revival happen in our time? I believe it can. Can revival happen in our time? And I believe it can. If it can happen in Nineveh to this kind of people, then surely it could happen in America. Now, when I read about the last days, and I've read about the last days several times, and I've taught on the last days for 42 years, there's something mentioned in your Bible about the last days, and there's something not mentioned about the last days in your Bible. Do you know America is never mentioned in your Bible concerning the last days? Um, I don't see America mentioned. Have you ever read it and seen America mentioned here? I haven't. Why? Good question. We can make the case for Israel because we know Israel's mentioned. We, we can make the case for the Middle Eastern countries because they're listed. Uh, Persia or Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, Turkey, Russia. We, we can make the case for Russia, Gog and Magog. We can even make the case for China. The kings of the east come from the east. They, they travel to the west. So, so we have several countries mentioned in your Bible according to the last days, but America is never, ever mentioned in end-time biblical prophecy. Why would the greatest superpower on the earth not be mentioned about the last days? And I want to give you maybe two thoughts today before you slip out of here. The first one is this. Could it be possible because of America's wickedness that America gets judged? Could it be possible that today what's going on, and let me tell you, we're in crisis in America today. Some of the craziest things are going on in our nation today. We're shedding blood. We are far from God. We have some of the grossest sins, and I know sin's sin, but some of the things that God says is really not supposed to be happening, we're endorsing. We're, we're making it legal and laws, and we applaud it. It's on television and movies, and we're spoon-feeding it in culture to our kids and our young people. And some of our leaders have absolutely lost their way. And if I could use an old term that I grew up with, they don't know come here from Sikkim. They have not been educated. They've been indoctrinated. They've done some of the things that I cannot believe that they've done. They've not learned the, 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 the morals and the lessons of history. They're trying to implement things that have never worked in any culture, any civilization, any country, at any time on the planet. 
But yet they're wanting to legislate those things for all of us that they haven't worked in the past, they don't work now, and they will never work. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. And yet people vote for them. And the very people who want to see us destroyed, we put in Washington. Y'all okay? And you know it's true. It is absolutely true. But yet we have a culture and we have a group that's growing up. They've lost their way. They don't know. They've never been educated. They don't know history. They know about the Kardashians. But they don't know about Lenin or Castro or Pol Pot or Hitler or Stalin. Should, should I go on? They don't understand Venezuela, but they want that for us. Could it be there will be a day that America is judged by Almighty God and we no longer remain a superpower and we lose our standing among the nations? That's horrible to think about. But I like the second view better. And you're going to like this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to like this. Could it be there's a massive revival in America? Could it be that America turns to God? That we look at our ways, we look at where we're going, and somehow, someway, there's a grassroots movement just like Nineveh that rises up not from the king, because the king, he was last on board, but it was the people. When Nineveh is proclaimed in the message of Jonah, the people heard and they responded. They repented. They turned from their evil, wicked ways and God spared the city of Nineveh. Could it be that maybe you and I are going to see another wave of revival through America? There's over 300 million people in America. What if a million people turn to God? Two million people turn to God. Then all of a sudden Jesus comes in the air and we see him in the clouds. And guess what happens? What if most Americans get lifted off this planet and we go be with Jesus? Isn't that a better scenario? And then we say, well, we lose our world power uh, standing. That's why, because most Americans are with Jesus. And then guess what happens? The evilness that have been foreordained to play out the last days, now they rise up in power. So, if revival comes to America like Nineveh, I think that's a better, that's a better alternative, don't you? Man, I want to go be with Jesus. I, I, listen, when he comes back, I'm going to go on the first load. How about you? I'd rather just not be here. But there will be CNN and MSNBC and CBS and ABC and there'll be uh, all the, the news people and there'll still be all of the, the media and the television producers. I mean, that's going to go on just like normal. But could it be that most Americans 
are gone. And when Jesus catches away his church, which I hope for the latter, revival happens. And the reason America is not mentioned is because America, most Americans are with Jesus. And not just Americans, obviously. People all over the world are going to be with the Lord. But there is going to still be that last scene or scenario of the last day that's going to be played out. But here's the good news. The, the story of Jonah really ends well because the whole city is saved, 120,000 people. Now, that's just the city. We don't know about the entire nation. Most people believe there's about a million people in Assyria at that time. Uh, Nineveh, only the capital. And this revival that begins in Nineveh, 120,000 people saved, did, did it spread? Obviously, it had to. Let me ask you a question. When you, when you got saved, did it impact anybody else around you? It, it, it did us. did our family. When, when Carrie came to the Lord, and you've heard my testimony, when Carrie got right with God and, and, and the Lord came into her heart and her life, uh, I, I wasn't too happy about that. She said, Mike, we're going to get right with God. We're going to start going to church. I said, hang on there, sister. I said, not me. I'm happy for you. You go. She went with mom. They went to church. Carrie's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's baptized. She, she's going to church, and I stayed home. And I was glad to stay home. You go, girl. <laughs> Nothing's happened to me. But guess what? When your wife gets saved and she starts praying for you, and your mama starts praying for you, goodness gracious, <laughs> you just start becoming a preacher, I guess. <laughs> you see, revival affects more than just you. When you get right with God, there's something about you. There's a light in you. There's a living water flow out of you that affects everybody around you. So the city gets saved and they repent. I think there's other things that go around in the whole country of Assyria. And could it be that you and I could start something really amazing here? Could we see revival in our time? I think the answer is yes. Let it just start with us. Let it be something that you can do and I can do and not that we're Jonas that we're going to go to a city and proclaim to a city of 120,000. Maybe God would call you to do that, but maybe if you just start at home, that's a good place to start. Or at your job or your school or, or the neighbor next door. Maybe you don't have to preach a message. Just live the life, give an invitation and just be who you are. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't put your light under a bushel. No. So would we be able to see something like that? And, and I believe that is right because I pray for that every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning I pray for this place to be filled. Again and again and again and again I pray it every Sunday morning. Usually while you're still asleep. While it's still dark outside, I, I pray that and, and I believe that. I'm hoping for that. I'm proclaiming that. I, I'm getting a hold of that by faith. Because we have not, because we ask not. So I'm asking for some things, and I want you to begin to ask for some things. I think maybe in the next few weeks or next few months, there can be some people sitting next to you that maybe were Ninevites that heard a message or saw an example or saw a light or something in you they want, and their life is being changed, and this thing could go viral, right? That our city could be changed and our county and our state and goodness gracious America needs a wake-up call.
And we need some people bold enough to do that. And listen, I understand. Please understand. Life sometimes is not fair. I've felt it. And maybe you've lost your way. And you say, God, why did you do that? Or why didn't you do that? Or why are you doing that? And why did I go through the storm? Why have I been in the belly of the fish? And sometimes I can't answer that. But this is what I know. He is full of grace and mercy. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And he loves us. And Jonah said, God, I know that about you. I'm angry with you, but I know that about you. God loves the fish. He loves the plant. He even loves the worm. Well, that gives some of us hope, doesn't it? He loves the worm. <coughs> he even loves the livestock. Did you read it? Now, I'm not saying that God put that in there just because he says, I'm an animal lover. <laughs> but look at this. Uh, the people in Nineveh probably didn't have all their money in the First National Bank of Nineveh. Brad, I'm sorry, but maybe they didn't. Maybe it was Legacy Bank. But where's most of their wealth in? Their wealth is in their land and their crops and their livestock. And God is saying, not only do I not want to destroy the city and the people, I don't even want to destroy their economy. I want them to live the abundant life, but they need to live that in my, my love, in my grace, my mercy. They don't need to live it on their will and their carnality. They need to live it in the way that I want them to live. And listen, God's not after you. God's not... Uh, against you. God loves you more than you will ever, ever know. But this is what he knows. He knows there's something out there that can destroy you when you don't even know it. The Ninevites were acluistic. That's what Carrie says to me. You're acluistic. They didn't have a clue that judgment was coming until John arrived. He said, yet 40 days, God's going to destroy this city if you don't turn this around. And sometimes all, our own life, there's a clock that's ticking. How many of you know, you don't have forever. I don't have forever. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There's a clock that's ticking. How long? I don't know. How long for you? I don't know. You may be here today and you don't know Jesus. I'm here to tell you, like Nineveh, you need to get right with God. Just like I need to get right with God. God's not angry with you. He loves you. He's not saying these things because he hates you. He's saying those things because he wants you to get right with him. Because eternity's too long for us to be without him. I'm going to believe in revival. I'm going to believe that people's going to turn their lives around. Listen, this is more than just the scatterings of religion. This is a message of hope. And Jonah, as flawed as he was, as angry as he was, God still used him in one of the greatest revivals that we ever have recorded. I know it was a great time for 3,000 people to come to the Lord on the day of Pentecost, but listen, 120,000 people? That's why he wrote the book, How to Have an Altar Call to Win 120,000 People. That's why he wrote the book, How to Have a Mega Church in four, 40 Days. That's why he went on tour. No. He just did what God said. And God did what he said. And God will always keep his end of the bargain. 
And so today, maybe you're just enamored. Maybe you're struggling in your faith. And maybe you say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I just have to submit to the sovereignty of God. That God will have his way. Now I need to have faith and I need to believe. But let's not look for the negative like Jonah. I'm going to sit in my lawn chair and God, I'm going to wait for 40 days and then you're going to get them. And God says, no, Jonah, in these 40 days if they repent, I'm going to save them. This is a much better alternative. Same about you too and me. Let's pray. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.